like to invite you to a soul level encounter. Music has an incredible ability to proclaim the soul's language beyond what mere words can speak. That's what we seek as we invite our guests to share their song of the soul. You will hear the music that has charted the steps of their spiritual journey, that has provided a touchstone in the soul's dark night and sung the heart's awe and joy when come to the light. Over the next hour, you will be a witness and companion to our guest's spiritual path and sacred testimony. Welcome to Song of the Soul. Today we have some real folk music for you for Song of the Soul. Dave Perra is part of a duo with Kathy Barton, and they live out through their music a devotion to the folk music tradition and to folk history. Today's music selections by Dave Perra will mix contemporary folk music, traditional folk music, and contemporary folk music on traditional folk history. We'll be visiting folk festivals with Dave and Kathy as well. It's wonderful musical craft with deep lyrical appreciation. Dave Perra joins us by phone from Boonville, Missouri. Dave, I'm delighted to have you here today for Song of the Soul. Thanks, Mark. It's glad to be here. And of course, one of the reasons you're here is because there's a good friend of yours, Ed Trickett, sent me in your direction. What's your connection with Ed? Well, Kathy and I, when we first met and started singing together, Kathy had some albums from Folk Legacy Records. And Ed was on a number of them, the Golden Ring albums, at least one of his own then, and some others that he was on. So we became big fans of his, and then we were playing at the Walnut Valley Festival in Winfield, Kansas, back in the mid-'70s. Kathy was one of the first people to play the Hammered Dulcimer at that festival. It's a big festival in Kansas. So we got to know the organizer, and he asked one time, do you have any suggestions for the festival? And Kathy said, well, you should get Ed Trickett to come to the festival. So he did, and so we met him there. And then Ed asked Kathy and me to come out and tour with him. That was about 1980, maybe, somewhere in there. And then also record. He did uh, his album, People Like You. This is folk music that you're doing, that Ed specializes in, that seems to be your long suit. What does folk music mean to you? What is this thing that you seem to be passionately attracted to? Some people say that it has no meaning in America anymore because it's it's, it's all dispersed. But I, I seem to think you can divide it into two different things. It's always meant two things to me. One is the traditional music of a, of a culture. And then there's also that folk style of music, the balladeer with the guitar, you know, writing his own songs, uh, a la Bob Dylan. Well, I think it's time that perhaps, Dave, you can give us an example of what you mean by this kind of music. So how would you like to start off your Song of the Soul? Well, we could start with River of the Big Canoes. It's a contemporary song, but we could start there. You say it's a contemporary song, but... Is there something of ill repute about a, a contemporary song? <laughs> it's not traditional, it's not folkish enough? Well, you know, I wouldn't say 
you know, I mean, if you want to draw a distinction between my two categories of, of folk music, and actually this is an argument I used to have with Bob Dyer, who wrote River of the Big Canoes, is that Bob would say, well, I write my own folk songs. Kathy and I'd say, well, you know, the definition of folklore, one of the definitions of folklore is dynamic variation. And so for a song to become a folk song, even though it was written by somebody, needs some time for variance. But that is kind of a distinction, you know, how many people have had their hands on one of Bob's songs and passed it along to somebody else. But, you know, Bob saw himself in that tradition. I mean, he is, a, in this case, a, the balladeer of the Missouri River. And when Bob wrote this song in the 1970s, a lot of people thought that the word Missouri meant muddy water. And it's sometimes called a big muddy. I know the Mississippi is called that as well. But actually, the word is an Indian word, meaning he who has a big wooden canoe. And that's what the Illinois Indians called the Missouri Indians because they had these big dugout canoes. And so that's part of it. And why did you select it for your Song of the Soul? What about this song is particularly close to your heart and your soul? Well, our collaboration with Bob, Kathy and I, I mean, we met Bob, oh, maybe three, four years after we started singing together. Kathy and I met at a coffee house in Columbia, Missouri, the Shea Coffee House. And Bob came there one time, our friend Lee Ruth, who actually opens the first solo of River of the Big Canoes. The first time I heard that song was a recording with Lee and Bob singing it. Lee brought Bob to the Shea, and Kathy and I met him there. And then a few years later, we were living in Boonville and lived next door to Bob in a duplex, and then began working with him a lot more closely, and which we did for 25 years or more. But not only the friendship, but there's a vision that Bob has for the river and historical vision. Since we lived on a, in a house that sort of overlooked the river, you could see it from the backyard, uh, you become attached to a certain physical feature like the river. And the river has a, uh, is analogous to other kinds of spiritual things. Other kind, It's often used as a, an analogy for other things in life. But as well as it tells the history, it's a good focal point for the history of your region. And I also think that we became more interested in the local history of where we lived. And it was largely through Bob's eyes because he really kind of introduced us to much of the stuff he knew about the area. And when you study the history of your local area, you can, you know, use your own eyes to see the place where you're in and let your imagination fill in the rest of the picture for you, I guess. So in a lot of ways, it's just an important song for us musically as well as how we feel about our history and place on Earth. River of the Big Canoes. You can see her in the mountains in the melting snow You can see her in the falling rain You can see her dancing down through a thousand valleys And she's got at least a thousand names
and they gave her the name of the Indians who lived there. The people called them Missouri. today for Song of the Soul with Dave Para. He's part of a duo, Barton and Para, and their website is bartonpara.com. Follow the link from nordenspiritradio.org. You just heard the song River of the Big Canoes. Actually, it's being performed by the Central Methodist Acapella Choir, which is a whole lot of folks, and there's soloists in there. Why don't you explain who all we were just listening to, Dave? Paul Drummond was the choral director, and he, some years back, made that arrangement for Bob's song. And we, the three of us, performed that with his choir probably in the mid-90s somewhere. When we were doing this tribute album to Bob, I wanted to get that rendition of the song on recording. The sad thing is, on that very day, and it was toward the end of the school year when we were getting this done, and so Paul didn't have a whole lot of extra time with his choir, but he got that together, and it was actually on that day he found out he was diagnosed with cancer, which actually, I think, took his life before that year was up. But in his choir, you had Violet Vondahar, who was a local woman who was attending the school then and was in his choir and has since teaching here in central Missouri and has been a uh, singer of old songs and of her own songs for quite some time now and is performing in the area. So you had Lee Ruth starting it and then Kathy and I singing a duet and and Violet doing that there. So uh, it's kind of a nice collection of people there. Does a choir in any way embody what folk music is about? And Because sometimes, you know, the performance music, I think of folk music actually as something that's done in your living room, and I don't know if all of us can fit a choir into our living room. Well, I don't know. That's an interesting question. I do have an affinity for choral music, and maybe in the sense that one of the quintessential ideas of folk music is people singing together, 
It's just great to have many voices sing together. It's really fun to do that. Kathy and I are interested in shape note singing for that reason as well. There's a definitely a link between the folk traditions and shape note music and choral traditions. Of course, shape note is so connected to the religious, spiritual stuff. I imagine for some people who are non-religious or maybe anti-religious, the words are maybe more of a distraction than an aid to getting into the music. How does that work for you? I've actually taught shape note workshops. I'm not a great singer um, at it, but I can do it. And I find the poetry quite uh, powerful at times. And there are some people, like in the South, where the tradition has not really died. Uh, Kathy's father was from north-central Mississippi, and uh, a few times we were able to go to what they called old harp singing. And, you know, the poetry is what really matters. I mean, you can sing, and singing is fun, but, you know, there's quite mindful of the poetry. And I, like um, the words to... They're set to the tune Boyle's and let's see, the words are, Our days are as the grass, or like the morning flower. If one sharp blast sweep o'er the field, it withers in an hour. Well, you know, that's to me Christian existentialism. I mean, Jesus loves you, and but, you know, we are going to die. <laughs> and that's the way it's going to go, you know, deal with it. And there are times when the poetry can have such resonance interior as well as these really strong harmonies and fifths and octaves, you know, where the, the, the vibrations are strong on the outside as well. It can be pretty moving there. I can also understand people who want to sing the music for its beauty but divorce themselves from, you know, the meaning of the poetry. You've just given me one gem. I don't know if it's a term you've used before, but Christian existentialism. I've never heard that before, and it's its a rich term. I hadn't thought in that way. You know, 40 years ago, I did a, a paper in high school for a, a course in the, the history of the Russian Revolution, and I was introduced to Nicholas Berdyaev, who was termed a Christian existentialist. But, yeah, I think that's a, a certain way to go uh, for me, that... You have to be honest with your life and your mortality, and uh, that's kind of how I view Christianity in itself. I can't buy into that this is a, we're all, uh, and we sing songs like this. There's a song from the Leuven Brothers, we're just rehearsing, we're just rehearsing for that singing up home. I don't buy that. I don't think we're just put on earth for this big test to see we're getting getting into heaven, considering many people believe it's by faith alone, you know, sola fide, that you will be in, you know, so it's not by work, so it seems like we've already passed the test once we start. So I just really feel that it's really about making the most of your life here on earth. Kathy just lost her father just before Christmas. You know, of course, he was 96, and he was lived a fine life. He was a fine guy and everything, but... It occurred to me that it was about four o'clock when he died, and he, you know, it occurred to me that he made it up in time for happy hour with his wife, which is a very comforting thought to me. But it's, you know, it's not what motivates me to live is to think of how much better it is in heaven, and that is why I think I picked a Washington Phillips song. I had a good mother and a father because it is one of those kind of a gospel type song that I thought to myself, well. If I had a sermon to preach in song, this would be it. 
in this song, it says a lot of what I think. It may not quite characterize my own parents or Kathy's parents, but certainly in certain ways it does. And, and it, the rest of the song, though, seems to be a pretty simple lesson of what you would like to have in a Christian life. And then we're going to share I Had a Good Mother and a Father. It's from Kathy Barton's and Dave Perra's Sabbath Home CD. I used to have a real good mother and a father And they certainly stood the test Now they have gone to bright glory And I know their souls are oppressed They laid a good example
another as he has loved you. Then you will write and treat your neighbor, and it won't by Kathy Barton, Dave Para, their website, bartonpara.com. Para is P-A-R-A. You can follow the link also from nordenspiritradio.org. The song, I Had a Good Mother and a Father. I had recently one of my guests who, he's Lutheran. He's ELCA, Evangelical Lutheran Church of America. He's a rapper, hip-hop artist. One of the things that when he was involved with Christian Fundamentalist Group at college, they told him that his mother, who was a deeply spiritual person, not religious in the sense they liked, she was too much on the hippie side of the world, that she would not go to heaven. So she wasn't a good mother. And then his <laughs> father was a Lutheran pastor, a hippie Lutheran pastor for that matter. Oh, there's a concept. And at one point they were telling him in his fundamentalist group, it's like, well, you know, too bad you come from parents that aren't saintly, that aren't going to get into heaven. <laughs> You seem to be pretty confident that Kathy's parents will make it to happy hour in heaven. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I, Do you yeah. come from good folks that way? Yeah. I, Kathy and I are both the youngest of three children in our families. We had a friend once that told us that she had been reading something about the order of birth and among siblings, and she said, oh, well, you all will be married forever because you just like to you know, hang with people and have a good time. And that is pretty much <laughs> what we're like, I guess. You know, it's very—it's so very important to grow up and know your parents love you. It's just one of those huge pieces of armor or something that you can carry with you that really sustains you. Did you grow up with any particular religious identity, and do you have any religious spiritual identity now other than, I guess, folky? Yeah, I grew up Catholic on the south side of Chicago. My grandparents were all Polish, and we were all Catholic. My parents sent me to Catholic school, 12 years of Catholic education. Yeah, I, I grew up with that, and, you know, I had that period of part of my life where I um, kind of had to break away from that and think. I, actually, strangely enough, I remember when I was in high school, we had a class on... Um, Film, religious themes and secular films. I like that class a lot. And uh, we watched The Shoes of the Fisherman with Anthony Quinn being the Pope, you know. There were images of the Vatican. I guess I'd never really seen images of the splendor and wealth of the Vatican. And it, and it just caught me the wrong way. And I thought, man, this is, you know, here's Jesus walking around in dirty hippie sandals. And, and he's represented by this guy and, and you know, with driving a Mercedes-Benz with hydraulic hinges or something in the car doors, and I just thought, well, this can't be correct. And actually, I remember uh, there was a priest in our parish that I talked to about that. He seemed to be 
on the hipper side of things on the south side of Chicago there. I remember what he told me. He says, well, you just have an um, immature image of God. You're growing up with your image of God that you've had as a child, and now you're thinking of something else. And, and it kept me from dismissing religion and Christianity altogether, and it just meant that you know I was going to have to do something. I'm going to have to put something of myself into it rather than just learn something or absorb something that someone has taught me or I don't want to say beat into me, but that, of course, the standard stereotype of Catholicism. But when I moved to Missouri, I came to a place that, you know, Columbia, Missouri isn't as heavily Catholic as where I grew up. So, And in fact, it was in Missouri where I discovered there were people that had real anti-Catholic views, which was surprising to me. I guess I was asleep that day when they talked about American history and Catholicism and, you know, that sort of thing in high school. But Kathy's parents went to the Baptist Church in Columbia. The, uh, it's an American Baptist Church. That's more of a Northern Baptist, I guess. In fact, they changed churches largely because a pastor at another church preached an anti-Catholic sermon. And my father-in-law, you know, they, he, was in the, he was in a career army man. And they lived in different places in the world. And their experience with church was, by nature, ecumenical on a base. So he, they just didn't cotton to people, you know, running down other religions. They just didn't feel that that was a good thing to do. So uh, I found myself, you know, because I met Kathy and I got to know her parents, and, and it actually turned out that the coffee house where I was living was part of the Presbyterian church in Columbia. The Shea Coffee House was part of that Presbyterian coffee house ministry thing that was happening in the 60s. That church was there and almost next door to the Baptist church. So, so I went to church with them. And the thing that was interested me was how informal their church service began. It was all very uh, congenial. I was attracted to that. And then there was a, gosh, the Sunday school class was being taught by one of the beloved Shakespeare professors at the University of Missouri. That's why I was in Missouri at the time going to college. So. So in a nutshell, so now Kathy and I, we attend the Disciples of Christ, we're a Christian church slash Disciples of Christ. That's a, <laughs> So there we are now. I'm an elder in my church at this point, one of the more liberal Protestant denominations. Well, we're getting away from music a little bit here, <laughs> so let's get back to it. Well, I'll tell you, you know, in another way, Bob Dyer's mentor, his main man was John Nyhart, the poet laureate of Nebraska, he, uh, in the late 50s, did a poetry residence in the University of Missouri here in Columbia, and then he kept a house here through most of the rest of his life. Nyhart had a very spiritual sense to his poetry, and he was very interested in native culture. He wrote Black Elk Speaks and Twilight of the Sioux because he hooked up with this medicine man, Black Elk, and found a connection between his Christianity and native beliefs. Easter is a poem like that. I'm not sure I can explain very much to you about all the images that that poem has. I do know the story of that poem is that it came to him in a dream. He said he dreamt that he was in a room with many poets, and they were all reciting their poems at the same time. And he said they were good poets, but he couldn't keep them from interrupting each other. And 
before this dream, a newspaper editor asked him to write a poem for Easter and offered to pay him 50 bucks, which in 1908 was real money. But he refused because he didn't write occasional poetry. And he was also at work on this cycle of the West, this huge epic history of the West in poetry form. And then he has this dream and he tells his wife the next day, and she says, well, couldn't you, like, string pieces of those things together? She was obviously thinking about the $50, and, you know, it'd be kind of nice. And he said, no, he couldn't do that. But then he found he couldn't continue with his epic work until he had gotten that song, Easter, together. You're listening to Song of the Soul. I'm Mark Helpsmeet, your host for this Northern Spirit Radio production. 
on the web, northernspiritradio.org. You can find seven and a half plus years of our programs, listen to and download them. You find links to our guests, like to Dave Para, who's with us here today for Song of the Soul. You can also find a place to leave comments. You can find the stations where we're broadcast. You can make a donation. Donations always welcomed. And we always encourage you to donate to your local community radio station. Great sources of alternative views and music. So do support your local community radio stations. Again, we're with Dave Para. He's part of a duo, Kathy Barton, Dave Para on the web for them at bartonpara.com. The song you just heard that they performed is Easter, and it's off of their Crazy Quilts CD, one of 10 CDs you can find out there via their website. Do check them out. Again, Easter, the poetry there is by John Nyhart. You start out with that drone kind of humming thing there. What's that being played? Oh, that's a didgeridoo. A didgeridoo? Who's a didgeridooist? Oh, I do. I play that. I'm not great at it, but it seemed to fit that song. When I've listened and read about the didgeridoo and various things, I read somewhere that there's a great recording, I think it's called From Dawn to Dusk, where there's guys outside in Australia, and they're sitting around a fire, and and they hear various animals, so then they play the totems for those animals on their didgeridoos. So I think it was there that said that the didgeridoo is an instrument that the earth teaches you to play. I don't know that Nyhart knew about the didgeridoo, but had he known, I think he would have thought that was a really cool thing. There's a Nyhart Day, an annual Nyhart Day, in Bancroft, Nebraska. That was his hometown, and there's, that's where the, the Nyhart Center is. Bob had been associated with that center for years, and when we were traveling with the Discovery String Band uh, doing our Lewis and Clark stuff, we performed at that Nyhart Day, and one of the last things we did was we did Easter, and I played the didgeridoo, and at the very end, I'm, you know, I'm not that great of a didgeridoo player, and I don't live around all the classic Australian animals that they do, but oh, there was a cicada at the end, and so I just sort of jammed with a cicada at the end. That was one of those little moments there, but that was, that was really, that was cool. Keep us going on your Song of the Soul. What's the next song you'd like to share? We can just go on to that song of Pomp, the Journey song. I think that would be fun. That's an extension, I think, of Bob and, and Nyhart, and at least in terms of the last verse. The, the last verse is usually the sort of the things that really take me with that song. So we could go to that. Well, explain a little bit about the context. It's from this Lewis and Clark CD, A Musical Journey, Most Perfect Harmony, The Discovery String Band. Explain a little bit about in that environment and how this came to be. Well, you know, they had the big commemoration of the bicentennial of the Lewis and Clark journey here in Missouri, you know. So we got together with our friends Paul and Wynne Grace and Bob Dyer, friends of ours. Uh, Bob we'd been working with for years, and Paul and Wynne known and played with them a lot, and decided to uh, work on songs, realizing that we were going to have to probably write songs. The journals don't mention any particular song at all. There were two fiddle players in the core of Discovery. Uh, we know they sang. So there was some guesswork and some historical work, but then through Bob and surprisingly Kathy, there was some original work done there. Kathy had written songs in the past, but none that she and I performed. But she got very inspired by the story of Lewis and Clark. And so the story of Sacagawea, 
as the name is pronounced, in the journals. That is a Hadatsa name, but she was not a Hadatsa woman. The name Sakagawea is translated as bird woman, but she was a Shoshone woman, and we don't know what her name was as a Shoshone girl. It was, it's never been said. She certainly wouldn't have been known by a Hadatsa name because it was the Hadatsas who raided her family and killed her mother on the raid and took her captive. So it's certainly not her original name. Now, a word Sakahawea or Sakajawea, something like that in Shoshone, means boat pusher. So it's possible, but not at all verifiable, that she might have been known by that name. But Kathy sort of leapt on the boat pusher term for the Shoshone word, and she wrote a song as though she was singing the song to her son, Pomp, who was born at Fort Mandan before she takes off with her husband, Charbonneau, and Lewis and Clark Expedition. And the song we're referring to is The Journey Song for Pomp, performed by the Discovery String Band, including Kathy Barton and Dave Perra. I hear mother's voice, I still see her face She sings to me of a fair faraway place A land of big waters, a cradle for sun Where sun goes to sleep when the day is done I'm a boat pusher, I'm one with the water The streams are my sisters, rivers my brothers She told me that I should know fog in the flood Water life givers and boat pushers I'm mother spirit guide Poppy and me Like river to find a way home to the sea Many days we will walk We'll ride and we'll float On my back I'm sure ride in a soft cradle zone Taken away when I was a child I feel the rough hands Here cry shrill and loud Homeson was memory I found new life Was one in a bed Became Charbonneau's wife But I wasn't sad And I didn't cry I'm a boat pusher I learned to survive Like river I learned how to bend Stay strong I had to Soon you come along. I'm not a spirit guide, Poppy and me, like river to find a way home to the sea. Many days we will walk, we'll ride and we'll float on my back, I'm sure I'd in a soft cradle boat. White man, one fiddlesome tooth. One's voice very soft, and he off stands apart. The one we call red hair, they call Captain Clark. They'll travel, they say, over mountains and plains, travel through snow and the Spirit. 
just as my mother still whispers to me, my voice it will guide you in your need. And in my voice, hear your mother, your father, grandmothers, grandfathers, sisters, and brothers, the poets of the old ones, the wind and the trees, the mountains, the rivers, the great mysteries. Journey Song for Pomp. It's from a production by the Discovery String Band, which includes Kathy Barton and Dave Perra, Paula Wynn Grace, and Bob Dyer. The name of the CD, Most Perfect Harmony, Lewis and Clark, A Musical Journey. Quite an odyssey, quite a wonderful story told there. And it convinces me that Kathy maybe needs to just go places so she gets her songwriting flame brightened occasionally. It's a wonderful song. I'm really talented i so i hope to meet her I mean, should i invite her for song of the soul i think so and i think you're correct she needs to have that songwriting capability prodded every now and then she's not a kind of person that will sit down regularly and try to write songs but it's kind of like the spirit moves her so yeah she needs to be prodded well maybe i'll do some of that prodding when i have her on for song of the soul in the not too distant future Time's winding down, though, Dave. Yeah, and I know. I think we need to conclude this. For our listeners, I want to mention to you, there's portions of this interview that I just was not able to fit in on one-hour program. So do go out to org. On my site, you'll hear extra interview with Dave Para. You'll learn a lot more of the ins and outs of both his music and his life. Just go via northernspiritradio.org. Look for bonus excerpts under my interview with Dave Para. But anyway, we do want to finish off this one with one more song. Set the stage for us and tell us how we're concluding our Song of the Soul. Well, this is great. Kathy and I had been going to Winfield, Kansas, the festival there, Walnut Valley Festival there since the 70s. And like I said before, Kathy was one of the first Hammer Dulcimer players to come there. They started uh, a Hammer Dulcimer contest, and it, it's really still a largely a guitar-oriented kind of bluegrass festival type, but a broader version of that. But we've long been associated with that festival, and there's this group for many years, more than 20 years, had called themselves the Carp Camp. And there are many camps at Winfield. People come and camp for a couple of weeks before the festival actually starts and hang out and play music. And, well, we had heard of Carp Camp. We'd been on the grounds. 
but we'd never experienced their jams at night because their big jams are from 8 p.m. till about 3 in the morning, and if you're booked to play at a festival and you've got a 9 o'clock workshop, it's really, it just does not pay to stay up till 3 or 4, and then even when we were young, we decided we really couldn't do that. And so a couple of years ago, a friend of ours gave us some recordings of these jam sessions, and it was, out came this music, and it was, it just bowled us over, it literally bowled us over. It was, the tunes were really cool. They're very hammer dulcimer friendly. They were played in these long medleys, dozens of people all playing the tune together. And it wasn't, it was just a very, it was an amazing thing to hear. And Kathy took the hammer dulcimer over to the stereo and, it was just like the 1970s all over when the instrument was new and every tune that you ever heard was cool. Work sat down and hammered out a couple of dozen tunes and in a few days. I mean, we just hadn't been learning tunes like that in a long time, and we were just so fired up. And so in 2011, we came to play at the festival, and we were able to sit down, and, and they let us sit in the middle That's the you know, it's kind of like a place of honor or a place for guests or something, but we sat there in the middle and were able to play some tunes with them. Shirley's Reel is a, is a great tune, and then the tune Salvation is one of those tunes that, I don't know what it is about that tune, every time Kathy and I play it, we actually feel better or good when we play that tune, and I don't know if it's because of the title or what, it's not like we're... I don't know, but there's something about that tune that we just... But anyway, it was a real pleasure to play with those folks, and it is. We've been back to play with them, and we'll try to come and play with them as much as possible. They have a website, carpazon.com, as in Amazon, but it's carpazon.com, and they publish homework every year for the upcoming festival. So people submit what they think are cool tunes, and Dave Firestein, the mandolin player, he's pretty much the person that decides, yeah, we'll put these tunes in the homework. So it's this great jam session that can continually learn new songs together. You know, it's great. So we're going into some great music to close out Dave Perra's Song of the Soul. Find him and Kathy Barton via bartonperra.com. You'll also want to check out BigMuddy.org, one of the folk festivals. They've got a primary hand in. We'll have other links at NorthernSpiritRadio.org. Again, we're closing out with something played by the Carp Camp at the Walnut Valley Festival from 2011. We have two songs that are in the clip that we're playing of a much longer medley, Shirley's Reel and Salvation. Dave Para, it has been a lot of fun having you here today. I think that our listeners are going to be flocking out to Missouri to be joining you. You're making such good music, good energy. Yeah, we'll try to have enough for the bodies. <laughs> we'll only hope. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining me for Song of the Soul. Thank you, Mark. It's been a pleasure.
theme music for Song of the Soul is by Chris Williamson, and it's called Song of the Soul. My name is Mark Helpsmeet, and this is a Northern Spirit Radio production. You can listen to this program again, track down the list of songs included, and a whole lot more on my website, northernspiritradio.org. And I invite you to share your Song of the Soul with my listeners. Just contact me via my website. And please, join me weekly for Song of the Soul. You can be happy, let in the light, it will heal you. And you can feel you and sing out a Song of the Soul.